Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Good morning, church. I love that song Reese was just saying. Uh, I'll let you in on a secret. I asked him to sing it. That song gets me fired up to preach. It's a great song to start the new year. Next time we sing that song, you need to come to the front row. It is so good up here. When we sing a song like that, there's, there's a couple of those worship songs that I just can lose myself in that song. You know what I'm talking about? One of those songs you just forget about everything else and you're, you're kind of called somewhere else. You know what I'm talking about? There are other songs that do that to me too. Not, not all of them are worship songs. There's this one song, every time I hear it, it takes me back. Um, it was freshman year of college and I had my eye on this girl. And we ran around in this same group of friends and uh, I had my eye on her, but there was no indicators she had her eye on me, okay? Uh, we ran around the same group of friends and we all went our separate ways though over Christmas breaks around this time of year and three of us lived in Dallas. She did, I did, and one of our other buddies. So one of the nights over Christmas break, we decided to all get together. The whole time we were get together, we rode together to dinner. The whole time we were together, I was counting the seconds till we ditched the other guy. <laughs> Finally we did, we dropped him off and she looked at me and she said, you wanna go look at Christmas lights? And I did. <laughs> And we uh, went and looked at these Christmas lights. I'll never forget driving through this neighborhood in Dallas. It was lit up with Christmas lights. And we held hands for the first time in the car. And the song that was playing was Michael Buble's Home. Does anybody know that song, Michael Buble? And uh, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it. He's kind of a jazz guy. And Home is about this guy that longs to be with his girl. And I did not like jazz before that night. But after it, I sure did. And every time Lindsay and I hear that song, to this day, it just takes us back. Takes us back to that moment. You got a song like that in your life, this kind of song you can just, you can just get lost in. You know what I'm talking about? Keep that song in mind for a second. Today we're starting this new series. And the series is coming out of the book of Genesis. And you heard that read earlier. Thanks, John, for doing that. I'm assuming you read. I wasn't in here, but I'm sure it was great. And... Um, we're starting a new series out of the book of Genesis, and it's part of a larger series or vision for 2022 for Highland. So we spent 2021 telling the good news of Jesus Christ, according to Mark. And like I said last week, the good news of Jesus is part of a larger story that stretches from creation to eternity and a story out of which I drive my purpose and meaning in life. And so our vision for 2022 is pretty simple. It's my part and God's plan. My part and God's plan. You're going to hear that a lot. Well, to understand God's plan or the bigger story, you got to go back to where the story starts. And in Genesis 1, 1, like you heard, the story starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And what follows in Genesis 1 and 2 is the story of where all of this comes from. It's a six-day creation story, and on the seventh day, God rests. So it starts on day one with light and darkness, and then the sky and sea, and then the land, and then the sun, moon, and stars, the birds and the fish, and finally the animals and humans on day six. And what you'll notice, and you probably notice this as John read it, 
what you'll see is that God creates all of this how? Just by speaking. It's awesome. By his word. There's this pattern. You see it again and again throughout. And, and you might go back and spend some time in it this afternoon. You'll see it. You see it as early as 1, 6, and 7. There's this pattern. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And then God saw that it was good. God said it, creation, was so. And then God said, saw that it was good. And so I'm going to give you the point of the whole, the whole chapter right up front, especially because i got to watch my time this morning, and so may have to cut some out. So let me just make the point now. That what is formed by and conformed to God's Word is good. That's the point. What is formed by from the beginning, what is formed by and conformed to God's word is good. Which, you know, makes you wonder, who's this story about? Or what kind of story is this? And the clue is in the first line, in the beginning, God. And so you and I come to this story, and we think of it kind of uh, like an origin story. You, you know what an origin story is? You know, there's this... this um, kind of tendency among Hollywood that they'll make a movie about a superhero like uh, Batman or Black Widow or Spider-Man or something, and the movie will make millions and millions of dollars, so they need to make another one. So they go back in time and they tell the character's origin story about how he got bit by a spider and he had acne and was awkward with girls, and then he got superpowers and all was well, right? This is not primarily humanity's origin story, although that's a part of it. In fact, if you, if you skip forward to verse 26, you see that creation culminates with the creation of us, of humans, who are made in God's image. We're going to talk about that next week. There's this status that comes with being human because of how God made us. We're going to talk about that next week. But this story is not primarily about me. And our tendency to approach a story like this one and to assume it's about us is really a reflection on the bigger mess that our world, in, our world is in, and that is that we think every story is about who? Me, <laughs> right? Who's the story about? In the beginning, God. This is a story about God. You know, we are the first culture, most scholars would say this, we are the first culture in the history of the world who have rejected what has been known as the sacred order. So most other cultures throughout history believed in a sacred order. And that's kind of a fancy way of saying they believed that God was in charge or a God was in charge. And that our job as that God's creatures was to submit our will to his, to fall in line with his order. And that when the world went Bad, it was because somebody had gotten outside of that sacred order. They had disordered what was sacred. And so that's the reason for badness in their life. Okay? And so every culture agreed that there was a sacred order. Now, every culture disagreed about the exact nature of the sacred order. So 
So Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Jews and Christians have disagreed about the nature of the sacred order. Sometimes they have violently disagreed about it, but everybody agreed there was one. And so evangelism was about compelling or convincing someone to believe in your sacred order and not a different one. But what's different about the world that we're living in now is not that we have chosen a different sacred order, but that we have rejected the notion that there is a sacred order at all. That there is a higher power that my life should be in submission or conform to. Tim Keller says it like this, late modern culture, so the one we're living in, is the first culture based on a rejection of a sacred order. In the name of individual freedom, today's society declares there are no transcendent realities to which we must conform. Rather, we choose our own values, we create our own meaning and life, and the only sacred depths are the ones found within us. Indeed, if there is a moral absolute in today's culture, it's that we must not say there are moral absolutes, let alone a sacred order to which all people must align. We talked about this a few weeks ago on our our study of the cross, where Jesus is at the cross. And what is dumbfounding to everyone who's looking at Jesus as he dies is that he won't save himself. They keep telling him to come down from the cross and save yourself. And it's a reflection on, although we may be the first culture that is based on the rejection of a sacred order, that within every culture over the history of the world, there have been those who have centered reality on me, on the self, where I am the, the center of some bigger story. And the promise that the world makes us is that if I'm the center of my story, if I find myself, if I pursue my own desires, my own good, that that will be good for others. And yet we live in a world that's totally broken apart, a world of all kinds of violence and outrage and anger. We're like trying to make sense of how can the world be like that if we're pursuing ourselves? And I I, I think the point is, that's the problem. That instead of losing ourselves in something bigger, we ditch the sacred order. We lose the sacred order to find ourselves. And that finding ourselves turns out to be like a pretty hollow goal in life. Paul says it like this in Romans 1. He lists all these terrible things going on in our world. And he says, this is why they're happening. They, these, these people exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. And so like this tendency that we see for people, including us sometimes, to kind of elevate ourselves to the top, okay, or to move ourselves to the center and to move out of the center of the Creator, God, is... The problem and always has been. Humans have always been tempted to do that, to move themselves into the center of the story and God to the edge instead of losing themselves in a story in which God is the center. Believing, therefore, that to be formed by and conformed to his word is what would be good and best for me. Instead, we think what would be good and best for me is me. So come back to me to 
with this, to this uh, Genesis 1 story, to this God story. And the best way to understand this God story is to compare this story to other God stories. So the best way to understand this story is not to compare it to your science textbook. We can have a long conversation about that. In short, I don't think Christianity is anti-science. I don't think science is anti-Christian. A lot of people have lost their faith because they buy into that. Come talk to me if that's a problem for you. I don't think that's what this is about. What I think you should do, though, is compare this story about God, the center of our story, to other stories about other gods. And the reality is that every culture has always had a story about how the world starts and the gods that made it. And when you compare this story to those stories, that's when this story comes to life. In all of those other stories, there are multiple gods who create this world by violence or sexual conquest. And so if you think about that, what are those stories trying to say about what your life should be about? They're saying that the meaning of our lives is violent competition and self-gratifying sexual pleasure. But that would preach today, wouldn't it? Think about that for a second. And so when you compare this story to those stories, that's when this one comes to life because in this story, there are no other gods that our God is competing with. It's just him. And he's not, he's not creating the world out of violence. He's not having to subdue anything and beat anything and kill anything to create. He does what? He just speaks and it happens. There's none of that other stuff, that bad stuff that so many people pursue there's just grace and goodness, him creating everything out of desire and love and abundant goodness. The story is just full of grace and provision. It is so unlike all those other stories, which is telling us something about the God who's at the center of this story. Uh, if you look at the story, and it's kind of easy to miss this in English, but essentially what we're dealing with in Genesis 1 is poetry. And uh, that's why I started with that vision of a song, because really like the best thing that captures what's going on in Genesis 1 is, is a song. You can kind of imagine, you know, some Jewish dad or mother years ago sitting around the campfire would sing Genesis 1 to their kids before going to bed. And the idea is that they would lose themselves, fall asleep to this bigger story with God at its center. And if you look at it, there's this really cool symmetry, and that's why we know we're dealing with poetry or song. You have this symmetry between the first three days of creation, the realms that are created, and the second three days of creation, which are the creatures that inhabit those realms. So look at this. You've got light and darkness on day one. Well, on day four, you have the sun, moon, and stars, the creatures that inhabit those realms. On day two, you have the sky and sea. On day five, you had birds and fish, again, the creatures that live there. On day three, you have land, and on day six, animals and humans. You see that balance, that symmetry? And that's the clue that what we're dealing with is, is like a song. It's like poetry. And so I think the best retelling of Genesis 1 comes from this guy named C.S. Lewis. Have I ever talked about him with y'all before? My kids love these stories, so I'm going to keep telling them. C.S. Lewis tells the story of creation, and uh, he tells it in this book called The Magician's Nephew. And in The Magician's Nephew, this boy named Diggory and a girl named Polly and a, a cab driver, the cabbie, 
and a couple other people arrive in Narnia in, in total darkness, just as Narnia is being created by Aslan. And I want you to listen to how he describes it. And I think it's kind of a window into Genesis 1. Listen to this. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful voice he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. And then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count, and they were in harmony with it. But far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. And the second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness, and the next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out. Single stars, constellations, planets, brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. And if you had seen and heard it, as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves who were singing. And it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them to sing. Glory be, said the cabbie. I'd have been a better man all my life if I'd known there were things like this. Far away and down near the horizon, the sky began to turn gray, and all the time the voice went on singing. The eastern sky changed from white to pink and from pink to gold, and the voice rose and rose till all the air was shaking with it. And just as it swelled to the mightiest, most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun rose. Diggory had never seen such a sun. You could imagine that it laughed for joy as it came up. And as its beam shot across the land, the travelers could see for the first time what sort of place they were in. The earth was of many colors. They were fresh and hot and vivid, and they made you feel excited until you saw the singer himself, and then you forgot everything else. It was a lion, huge, shaggy, and bright, and it stood facing the rising sun, and its mouth was wide open in song. Isn't that good? I think Lewis captures what the author in Genesis 1 is trying to get us to see that in creation, as God designed it, there is this goodness, this harmony. And that my job as part of this creation is not to be the center of this story, but just simply to join in this course that someone else is directing and that is about someone else. That to be formed by and conformed to his word is what's good for me. I mean, you think about like this... Um, Lindsay and I were home over the Christmas break, and I don't uh, believe in running for exercise. And, um, but Lindsay does, and I believe in her. And so we went on this run, and I'm thinking we're going to have this great together time on this run. And she puts in her AirPods right when we start. And she's jamming out to this song. Right? Why, do you, why do you listen to music when you run? You listen to music to forget yourself, to forget how miserable this thing is that you're doing. Right? But to get lost into something bigger. Right? And this story is saying, that's what's good for you. Being the center of your story is not what's good for you. God at the center of your story is what's best for you. And your life formed by and conformed to his word is good. Like, that's what would be good for you. Jesus tells a story about this. He tells a story about a farmer that's scattering seed. Seed falls on all kinds of 
different soil, rocky soil on the path, soil that's choked with weeds, and, and none of that seed ends up sprouting or living very long. It gets choked out and killed eventually. But some seed, we're told, falls on good soil. And it came up, and it grew, and it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, and sometimes 100 times. And his disciples, after he tells them that story, say, what's the seed in that story? And he says, oh, that's easy. It's God's Word. There's so much power, and not just power, but power for good, for harvest, for bounty, if you will submit your life to God's Word. You know, if this story will cease to be about you or me and about him, that the result, the harvest, is good. What we're trying to do here at Highland is to be a community with God at our center. Like That's what it's about. A community that above all is formed by and conformed to his word. That kind of community with God at its center is a good one. We're going to keep God at our center, and I hope that you'll be part of that. Let me dismiss you in prayer and blessing, and uh, you'll be on your way for 2022. God, I pray over these, your people. I pray that you would be the center of their lives. They would find themselves in your story, and that you would be glorified because of it. God, we know this is what's good for us, and may that be true of us this year. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.